Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm sure you're familiar with the saying, beauty is only skin deep. It's meant to be a reminder and a reassurance that there's more to a human being than appearance. While it's true our appearance is vitally important, you only have to spend five minutes on social media to reaffirm that it's as true today as it ever has been. Our appearance used to be kind of a genetic lottery, not so much anymore. Today you can get your hair, eyes, nose, lips, breasts, tummy, and butt lifted, sculpted, enhanced, reduced, or reshaped to more closely resemble how you'd prefer to look. Signs of aging we euphemistically call laugh lines and crow's feet can be smoothed away so your selfie looks as youthful as everybody else's on Instagram and without a filter. This kind of physical enhancement used to be the province of Hollywood stars and the wealthy citizens of Manhattan and Beverly Hills. Today, we have access to these treatments in Baton Rouge. One of the places you can take this journey here is Ford Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Dr. Ann Ford Riley has been practicing medicine for 30 years and was the first woman in Louisiana to be certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Dr. Riley's daughter, Dr. Kate Chasson, has gone one better than her mom. Dr. Chasson is double board certified by the American Board of Surgery and the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Mother and daughter of plastic surgeons are partners at Ford Plastics and Reconstructive Surgery. Welcome, ladies, to Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. It's an honor to be here. There are other forms of body modification we use to enhance our appearance as well. One of the most ancient and currently most popular is tattooing. We have archaeological evidence of humans with tattoos as far back as 5000 BC. In the early 20th century, tattoos came to be associated with outlaws and sailors. Somewhere along the way, that changed. Today, tattoos are regarded as pieces of art, acceptable in all walks of life, and they show up everywhere, from the bedroom to the boardroom. Daniel Messon is a native of New Orleans and has been a tattoo artist since 2008, and he's been inking skin in Baton Rouge for over a decade at his own tattoo shop, Black Torch Tattoo. Daniel, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. Well, Kate and Ann, I'm going to start with you, doctors. In the introduction, I was talking about all the various cosmetic enhancements we can choose to get, but y'all are plastic surgeons, MDs, and you do reconstructive surgery, which is a lot more than, than Botox or fixing laugh lines or something like that. What, what percentage of your practice is, say, reconstructive surgery or helping somebody from a, a car accident, for instance, you know, with a scar on their face versus the cosmetic stuff? Well, the beauty of doing the real, as you called it, plastic surgery training is that you get trained on how to do both types of surgeries, cosmetic and reconstructive. And then if you are lucky enough to be in a 
private practice like myself, you have total choice over how you want to make your practice. So um, it's luckily really up to me. And I enjoy doing both types of surgeries. Uh, so my practice is mostly a mix between breast reconstruction for breast cancer patients and cosmetic surgeries. And when I say cosmetic surgeries, that does kind of include the whole umbrella of surgical and non-surgical, which non-surgical treatments are what's booming nowadays. Boom. So it does include um, neurotoxins, fillers, uh, non-invasive facial enhancement procedures and things like that. Um, I prefer at this stage in my career to keep a pretty even mix if possible um, and just enjoy doing it all and having a lot of variety in day-to-day cases. Um, I think my mom can probably comment on how as people get further along in their plastic surgery careers, they usually veer towards having an interest in one type of procedure or another. Sure. Um, but I like keeping the variety right now. And Anne, is, like the practice overall, is it 50-50 roughly? Or do you, I assume you started out traditionally in more reconstructive or plastic surgery? Most plastic surgeons do more reconstruction earlier in their practice. I mean, the beauty of plastic surgery is the tremendous variety not only in the types of cases that you can do but the types of patients that you have any anything from a newborn with a cleft lip to uh, a young mom who wants a mommy makeover to a patient with skin cancer uh, uh, that needs treatment uh, plastic surgery one of my uh, professors once called it you know it's the surgery of the skin and its contents so it's a pretty pretty wide area and yes over the 30 years that I practiced plastic surgery I, I did start out doing a bit of everything but my interest level really turned more to breast and body in my later years and that's what I enjoyed doing the most very cool. I love that y'all are mother-daughter team. So much we can talk about here. But Daniel, I want to bring you into the conversation because this is so much fun too. I mentioned in my introduction that somewhere along the line, actually I think in my lifetime, you know, tattoos went from being tattoo or at least sort of, you know, renegade, I mean, you know, to being now totally acceptable and fashion statements. And how I know you're a tattoo artist, not a sociologist, but when do you think this change came about? What what was it? Um, High-profile influencers? Or? I believe social media has a lot to do with it. I think television has a lot to do with it. Um, I think in the last 10 to 15 years, we had that big boom with shows like Ink Master and Miami Ink and, <laughs> and all of those you know pretty well-known television shows, which... Um, I think they've sort of been a double-edged sword for the industry. Yes, it's created a big boom. Um, it's created a lot more revenue for tattoo artists, but it's also created a big boom in people wanting to join an industry. That um, tattooing has always been gate-kept. It's, um, we, we don't treat it like we don't like a lot of, we say we don't like a lot of outsiders being in the industry. Um, we don't enjoy like tattoo shops that are owned by people that don't tattoo, but that's part of the boom, right? That people want to put their hands in where money they see, okay, huh. it's booming. We want to put our hands in it. Um, but we, we're trying to still keep it, um, 
tight knit right. close community. Um, yeah, I think I think the change came with 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 the big boom with social media and with the television shows that everyone finally gets to see it. As, as opposed to in the 80s where like people were scared to go into tattoo shops, right. right? You had these big burly motorcycle guys and you didn't want to go in there because you were a little intimidated. And now, um, you know, you also have things like Yelp and Google where like shop owners are a little reluctant to be as tough as they used to be. Now you want to be very friendly and open to people. So I think people realize that and they're like a little more open to going into a tattoo shop as opposed to in the early 90s, late 80s, where they were like, they pictured people fighting in the streets before you get into the <laughs> shop and people breaking bottles, you know? So I think the change with just media yeah. overall has, has really opened the door for, for everyone to be And have open. you seen a, a, a change or a, maybe a noticeable uptick in the, in the number of clients and customers that come into your shop? Or is it a more diverse clientele than say 10 years ago when maybe it was more guys or more artists or something it's a little hard for me to speak on that because i'm very close to my shop is very close to lsu so that's the only difference that i notice is that um our clients are our clients so we have our regulars that are heavily tattooed that have been get tattooed for the last 20 years but then we also have the influx of new people that are college students that are away from their parents for the first time and they're like here we go you know i'm gonna get in there i'm 18 i'm gonna get a tattoo so i think that's where the the new clientele comes in is the younger generation of people that are finally being a little rebellious and and away from their parents and they have a little freedom um which you know i'm a parent so i'm oh it's gonna happen to me but at the same time it's helping my business, so. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, well, Kate and Anne, when did you all decide to, to partner up? Uh, Kate, did you always want to be a, a plastic surgeon? And let me, difference between a plastic and a cosmetic surgeon? Is that, a, that's not just a There a is thing. a difference, yes. Yeah. Um, so plastic surgery training involves, like I said, the reconstructive side and, um, the cosmetic side and it is recognized by the american board of medical specialties which is basically the board that says yes internal medicine and nephrology and gastroenterology and all these things are um you know recognized boards cosmetic surgery is sort of a newer thing because so many people have wanted to get into this industry just like you're saying has happened in the tattoo industry um they see it's booming and very successful and so um, it's a little bit newer and not yet recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties. And so a cosmetic surgeon may not have gone through necessarily plastic surgery training. They may have been an ENT or a general surgeon or an OB even. Interesting. Um, so you do kind of have to do your homework on that to just check sure. what people's backgrounds are. But back to y'all, growing up as a, in the 90s, I guess, with the mom as a, yeah. as a plastic surgeon. Very cool. Did you it was aspire very cool. to join her in those years? So no? I had both parents as surgeons. Oh, My wow. dad was a general surgeon, and he did, you know, traditional bread and butter general surgery for a long time, and then trauma surgery. 
whereas my mom did uh, plastics. And so I actually never thought I wanted to be a surgeon at all because I, it looked really hard. <laughs> um, but then once I got to med school, that was just what was the most fun for me um, was the surgery rotations. And um, I guess I eventually made up my mind once I was in my general surgery training as to what type of surgery I wanted to do. And plastic surgery, like she said, you get to be a general surgeon and that you're operating on anything from a little baby to an elderly patient. But plastic surgery is not about life and death uh, types of operations. You're really just about improving the quality of someone's life. So to me, that was just a better fit for my life and personality. Um, I didn't need to be cracking someone's chest in the ER like my dad, maybe. Um, And really saw the work-life balance that my mom had. That was a lot better in in the world of plastic surgery. That's fantastic. And then I knew, really, that I just always wanted to come home after training. Um, So Baton Rouge was the spot. And... Uh, I certainly never planned to open a practice in the middle of the COVID pandemic of 2020, but that's when I graduated. So um, she was already retired, actually, at that point. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the, you know, task of starting a new business from scratch, as lots of business owners know, is quite difficult. So I was really lucky to have her around. And she was the what did you say the quarterback of our team yes. uh in 2020 starting it because i was in birmingham alabama finishing up my fellowship where she was here scouting out office locations meeting with real estate agents meeting with you know all the important people that needed to help us get it going um and so was a great partner to have <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to plastic surgeon Dr. Kate Chasson and her plastic surgeon mother and partner, Dr. Ann Riley, and tattoo artist Daniel Messon. We'll be right back after this short break. Support for Out to Lunch Baton Rouge comes from Adeta Corporate Staffing, Basics Swim and Gym, and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment since 1947, New Orleans Ice Cream, available in select grocery stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to plastic surgeon Dr. Kate Chasson and her plastic surgeon mother and partner, Dr. Ann Riley, and tattoo artist Daniel Messon. And Daniel, when did you um, decide you wanted to be a tattoo artist? Is it something you Whoa, aspired to as that's a, a kid? Deep, that's a deep one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've done art my whole life. Um, I was in got in like elementary school I think I started talented art in like second grade and then when I got up older I, I did like New Orleans Center for Creative Arts in New Orleans which is oh, like fantastic a, oh sure. I, great school um, and not until I went to college or art school I went to Savannah College of Art and Design um, everything that I did was tattoo related they were asking me to do certain things and then I just ended up drawing tattoo images and I realized this isn't for me so I left and then I started tattooing not I was 19 when I started tattooing, um, but it's just art has been a part of my life since I, I can remember, since, like I said, elementary school. So it's just, it just made sense to go that route. What age were you when you got your first tattoo? I actually, I actually tattooed myself. Awesome. Um, 
very young. I, I might have been like 15 or 16 against everyone's wishes. My mom, <laughs> my mom would have killed me if she knew that I was doing it. You know, my oh, wow. mom still gets mad when I get tattooed. Well, she must age. be upset. You've got beautiful, yeah. beautiful artwork. Yeah, but she's still very proud of me. I mean, I did something with it. You know, I didn't just get tattooed and then not do anything with it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I did want to ask her a question about Should something. We ahead. talked about well, something maybe. earlier yeah. that... Earlier I said something about how the boom brought a lot of positivity, but also a lot of negative aspects to, to my industry. And you had sort of mentioned, and you had a little, a little smirk on your face when you said it about how the difference between cosmetic, um, how a lot of them don't have as much training, right? Yeah, well the problem is that in the world of plastic or cosmetic surgery, there's not a lot of regulation on how you can advertise yourself and anyone can advertise themselves as a cosmetic surgeon and so I feel like nowadays you see in the news all these bad horror stories of cosmetic surgery tourism and the the reason that this ha can happen um, is that if you set up a surgery center in like a strip mall just like maybe a tattoo parlor um, there's no hospital involved. There's no insurance company involved because it's cosmetic cash pay. So there's no regulatory body checking the doctor's credentials. So it could be a family practice doctor or a dermatologist or a dentist who just says that they do cosmetic surgery. Um, and maybe they took a weekend course. Um, wow. You don't know. And yeah. so it's really scary. And I think we need to do a better job of educating the public about yes. what to look for in their surgeon. Um, but that is unfortunately why you see a lot of those horror stories on the news. Well, and, and to piggyback on that a little bit, Daniel, because that raises a point that even take it down another level to the esthetician, never mm -hmm. mind surgery, whether you're making a, an incision, but just the injections, right? Or some of this like hormone yeah. or quasi-hormone mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Where? Is there any regulation? Because these aesthetic clinics, the Botox, are everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. It's like, an, you know, nail salons and, and quickie right. marts, right? So it's state by state regulated. So I know in Alabama where I did my training, um, PAs or nurse practitioners could not do injectable treatments. But in Louisiana, they can. There's still some differences between what a registered nurse can do, a nurse practitioner, a PA, and then, of course, an esthetician. Um, in Louisiana, and I believe most states, any kind of medical spa is required to have a medical director. Um, and so there should be an MD who's really the ultimate one responsible for that. Mm -hmm. But yes, it can get dicey, especially when there's medical spas with multiple locations. You know, you don't really know is the physician, is there a different physician in each location? How close is he or she? Are they literally on staff? Right. right. Is their license right. maybe on probation because of, right? Yes. I mean, anything like that. That I think that's where that the, uh, the, connection, yes. the connection that I was bring, trying to bring together is that, so in our industry, we're noticing a lot of people that do um, permanent, permanent cosmetics, which, you know, I love people mm -hmm. that do permanent cosmetics. A lot like, of them like do. Like tattoo eyeliner, for, uh, for instance. Eye, any, anything, yeah. yes. And they also do lips. Mm -hmm. We're noticing a big jump in those uh, businesses also now wanting to do tattoos oh, so they notice okay, okay right. a lot of the women that we 
because it tends to be mainly women in that industry that mm -hmm. um, do like eyebrows, microblading, all that kind of things. And again, I don't want to say I'm knocking on them because I'm not, but they have some that are now seeing that there's a big market for little tiny tattoos that these women that are wanting to get their lips done, they're like, I also want a little tiny tattoo. Mm -hmm. And now we're noticing that these people that have absolutely no training as far as tattooing I see yeah the art of tattooing not just because this is also an art to do microblading and mm -hmm. and lips and all that sure. but um, they're also starting to do little tiny tattoos and they don't do the research they're like oh this woman you know she did my microblading she could do my tiny tattoo but they they don't necessarily they don't have the background for it they don't have the training mm -hmm. for it and so is your concern more is it is it more just a competitive threat or is it that they're Absolutely not artists not. like it's, you are or is it more that they don't really know the safety and the you know and the complexity of the work yeah there, so there's a lot to it so you could do a tattoo that right when you do it it looks great but it's it's a lot more than that. It's about what it's going to look like in two years, three years, what it's going to look like in two weeks when it fully heals. Nine times out of ten, the people that do microblading, that's a semi-permanent thing. You're supposed to get it touched up every two or three years. A tattoo, you're not supposed to do that. When someone comes to get the tattoo, it's for life. You know, we try to do it as good and precise as possible so you never have to come back. Well, these people that are doing semi-permanent are doing permanent tattoos and their customers are, the tattoos fall out within three or four weeks and they're confused. Like, is, really? this, what the, is this what tattooing is supposed to be? Mm -hmm. And it's not. And I think I take it very seriously because I respect this industry so much and I think they're doing it more as a money grab sure. type of thing where they're like, yeah. And, and how closely regulated is your industry with respect to things like having a doctor or something, you know, nearby? I think and it should be a lot more regulated. Not, not a lot more regulated because I don't believe <laughs> that's where, you know, politics also come involved sure, too, sure. right? Where like, I don't like uh, Big Brother's hand in anything. But mm -hmm. when it comes to public safety, it's tricky because um, I don't want a guy out of his trailer doing the same thing that I'm doing because he took an online course, mm -hmm. you know, and some of us have, you know, 15, 20 years of experience and we're aware of bloodborne pathogens and how serious our industry can be. People think, oh, it's tattooing. It's oh, just tattooing. Yeah, everybody does tattoos. You know, in jail they do tattoos. I'll be fine getting it wherever, but there's a lot of serious things involved with it. I mean, I think five or six years ago, Baton Rouge was the highest per capita AIDS capital of oh, the yeah. United States. It has been Correct. for, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing time. with that. You know, we sometimes we forget about that we're dealing with that, but we are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so we need to take that serious. And I think a lot of the younger generation don't understand they the don't. seriousness Not of, at all. Of, of being involved in that. So, Ladies, do y'all, um, how big is your practice now a few years in mm -hmm. and with all of the different suite of services and the high demand for not only the surgeries, but also the injectables and everything. Do you have a full suite of, of estheticians and nurse practitioners and everybody on staff that can do different I, things? Yeah, I don't right now. Um, I have always kind of wanted to keep a smaller practice. Nice. Um, certainly the idea of franchise plastic surgery is becoming bigger and bigger where, you know, one person may have multiple locations and a large outreach, and it's a great way to capture a lot of patients. Um, I can't 
deal with feeling like I need to be in many places at once. Um, and so we've kind of chosen to keep it small and boutique feeling in our practice. But certainly that's a growing model um, to have what's called physician extenders, nurse practitioners or PAs um, who can do more of the injectable treatments um, so that the plastic surgeon who loves doing surgery can spend most of his or her time in the OR. And so that may be in our future, but right now um, I kind of do it all myself in the wow. office. Oh, that's great. Um, and Anne, do you also do? No, I do. You're I like do not. Consulting. I'm, I call myself. <laughs> yes. I, I call myself the CEO, which stands for the Chief Enthusiasm Officer. There you go. That's <laughs> but what's interesting is that the Botox really came out like right when your career was slowing down. So. Right. She kind of missed that trend, yeah. and then it became incredibly popular in the years between oh, yeah, no when question. she retired and, right, and when right. I started, and it just continues to grow. And, and I just have to ask, because, you know, Daniel, you said something about we want something permanent. Do you ever have people come into you wanting to remove a tattoo? You know, I don't see it that often, but, I mean, there's lots of places around town that people can go for that. I mean, every now and then I'll get a patient asking like, Oh, could you also remove this while you're in surgery? But I suppose it's not a, a huge market for I me. I suppose that would happen perhaps over time as, as tastes change and people oh, we age. Still have, <clears throat> we do recommend, um, a lot before we actually started this, I asked them about if they did it. Um, because we have a lot of people that do ask and we do have a, a, a few local places that we recommend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of people want cover-ups, but sometimes they're so far gone. We're like, look, you need a few laser sessions before we get involved. <laughs> right. um, so we send them to a few different people. But um, Is it a good business, Daniel? I mean, is there a lot of money in tattoos? Um, I'm very reluctant to answer that. Because <laughs> like, what I said, that. like what I said earlier is, is we, we try to be gatekeepers to a sense. Where I already said there's a big boom. And the last thing we need is even more of a boom because... Um, it's going to bring people into this industry that shouldn't be in this industry. Yeah. They're here for the wrong reasons. They're yeah. here for the money and not because they think they're going to be a good tattooer. Well, back in the 1970s, a hairdresser turned entrepreneur by the name of Vidal Sassoon marketed his salons and beauty products with the slogan, if you don't look good, we don't look good. Sassoon was talking about something as impermanent as a haircut. And Kate and Daniel, his slogan applies in a far more consequential form to your own work. After they leave your shop or your clinic, your patients and clients are changed forever. Tattoos and cosmetic surgery are permanent, and what you're doing every day requires skill, talent, confidence, and courage. You're working in professions in which there is literally no room for error, and it has been really interesting to learn what it's like having that kind of responsibility. Thank you for letting us into your professional lives and for all of you taking the time today to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Daniel Messon, owner and artist at Black Torch Tattoo, and Dr. Kate Chasson and Dr. Ann Riley, mother and daughter partners and surgeons at Ford Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Daniel's tattoos and Kate's and Ann's plastic surgery on the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast on your podcast app and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. 
If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Today's photos were taken by Brian Newton. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Peter Rashudian and Edelman. And today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.